This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. One of the coolest things about thinking of inclusion in the workplace is that every single person has an opportunity to be part of the solution. You don't really know like what that means, right? How can I, regardless of what my title is or how long I've been in a company or where I sit in the organization, how can I be part of creating an inclusive culture? Well, we have created here at Uplifting Impact an opportunity for anybody who is interested in being that inclusive leader, being able to get the kind of training and materials and resources and community that you need in order to be successful. We are calling it our Bridge Builder Institute, and it is a membership-based program, again, for people who are looking to really lead the change and help build the kinds of inclusive cultures that allow for everybody to thrive. So if you're interested in learning more and really gaining that skill and gaining that toolkit and making sure that you can be part of the change you want to see inside of your organization, we'd invite you to join us for our newly launched Bridge Builder Institute. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Jeff Joseph. Jeff Joseph is president of the Software and Information Industry Association. Prior to joining SIIA, Joseph was founder and CEO of Starlight Public Affairs, a strategic communications firm. Joseph also served as Senior Vice President of Communications and Strategic Relationships for the Consumer Technology Association. In his free time, Joseph finds joy in spending time with his wife, Lisa, and their two daughters. He also enjoys working out, viewing sports, discovering new music, discussing politics, playing guitar, cooking, and traveling. He also serves on the boards of several nonprofits. Joseph is a 1986 graduate of Princeton University, where he received a bachelor's degree in religion. Jeff Joseph, welcome to our show. Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Thanks. So to start off, can you share with our listeners what digital equity is and its importance in organizations big and small? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so, I think it, it, digital equity is really about just trying to address some of the issues that occur in the offline world and the in the uh, in the digital world. Um, you know, for too long, the underlying inequities, um, the racial biases, discrimination, you know, have, have plagued um, communities around the world. Um, and and from our perspective, denying too many the opportunity to to engage in and reap the benefits of the innovation economy. Um, so. When we talk about digital equity, it's really about ensuring you know, equity of access in, in the development and the application of technologies and the services themselves 
Um, you know, in some cases, um, we see digital services uh, carry the biases of either unconscious or conscious of the its creators, implementers. Um, we've, I'm sure you've heard stories about uh, AI being misused or, or you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, turning violently racist. Age, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? And and that's about you know, it's not the technology itself. It's it's what goes in. There's an old saw in software development that garbage in, garbage out. Well, the same is true when it comes to developing databases or you know, basis of data, sources of data um, for these technologies and services. So we want to make sure that that we, we do the best we can to remove those biases. Um, so that's sort of one piece. And the other is, is simply increasing access um, to the services themselves. So whether that's through you know, improving access to uh, low-cost broadband, um, high-speed broadband, um, to the technologies itself, to, to understanding you know, what, what does data privacy mean for me and, um, and how can it benefit me or how can it hurt me um, as, a, uh, as an underserved member of an underserved community. So you know, that hopefully that gives some context around what we mean in the term uh, uh, digital equity. Absolutely. And we've heard quite a lot about the digital divide and how it has grown, especially during social distancing measures and the pandemic. So how has the importance of digital equity changed over time? Yeah, well, I think you're, that's a great example of how, you know, uh, again, we hear stories of when, as students move to these distance learning, if you, you, in some cases, they receive the equipment, so they had the hardware, but they didn't have the, the high-speed broadband, right? So they weren't able to keep up or they didn't have the equipment. Um, so one of the things we, we, we did to address that, we, along with other organizations, lobbied for um, billions of dollars in funding in the, um, in, in the Infrastructure Act that was passed by Congress last year to expand access to broadband. So, and again, and I think sometimes when um, we come up with solutions for this this digital divide, everyone thinks hardware, but you don't think about the training. Okay, how do I use this? Uh, you know, I've, I've, this is new to me. How do I use this? You don't think about that 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 access. There's a um, a, a group in Baltimore that did a fascinating study in inner city Baltimore where they uh, took a look at um, uh, high speed broadband in the inner city. And they found that um, speeds were lower in, in many areas of the city. And they, they overlaid the map where they, where they found lower speeds with an old map of housing redlining. And the maps uh. almost exactly matched. So, you know, again, that sort of but the, the, the exclusion that occurred in the offline world in housing was occurring in the online world in terms of digital access. So, again, that mm. comes to this digital equity issue and in terms of, of closing that digital divide, not just from a hardware, but from an access and speed, um, information on how to use these services, understanding some of these policy, larger debates and how they may impact uh, these communities. Yeah. And you mentioned even in your answer, like kind of the focus on racial segregation and how the digital divide happens along racial lines. But I imagine quite a lot of your work in digital equity also is along socioeconomic and regional lines. So the issues that might impact regarding digital equity, for example, Black youth in the inner city of Baltimore might similarly impact people and white people in rural areas. How do those addressing those forms of digital inequity compare and contrast? Like, in other words, what are the things that are the same and ways of combating them or creating greater digital equity, but also how must things be different and kind of individuated for those very different populations? 
it's it's really it's one of the great conundrums of contemporary society, isn't it? Yeah. That you have these two communities that are equally or relatively equally disadvantaged, or maybe disadvantaged in some ways, but still disadvantaged. And yet we've been you know they sort of pit against each other. As <laughs> yeah. To, you know, imagine the political power if we could bring these people together where they have so much <laughs> in, interest. So, but it's it's a very insightful point. So when we talk about expanding access to low cost broadband, I may talk about the inner city and communities of color because it's obviously you know. More familiar to me, um, but but you're absolutely right that it impacts. It's, it's, it becomes much more a socio-economic issue than built along ethnic uh, you know, definitions and the self-identification of, of of ethnicity or, or, or race. So there is that. Um, ha having said that, you know when we when we if, if we look at something again like data sets um, mm -hmm. for AI, um, it's 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 um, that most of the instances are about people of color or or, mm -hmm. or people of, of of who are non-white populations. Um, so you know if if you're pulling in data um, that is ba generally based on only a segment of the population, then the outcomes are going to represent that segment of the population, right? Um, right. The, the example I often give, if, if you have a smart speaker, if you had an Alexa or a, you know whatever um, smart speaker and it couldn't understand a Boston accent, you're leaving that entire market, <laughs> yeah. right? It makes no business sense. Like, why would you want to exclude that? So again, as we build these data sets, um, we want to make sure that they are inclusive as possible because it's not only the morally correct thing to do, it's also just smart business, right? Right. Yeah, and what are some of the particular challenges that you face in this space and some of the outcomes that you've achieved. So yeah. you've mentioned kind of these larger things, but it seems like it's so obvious. It makes business sense. It helps us reach larger communities. So what are the obstacles that still exist? I think the obstacles aren't necessarily that different again from those that occur in the, uh, in the offline, in the offline mm -hmm. world. Um, education. Understanding, yeah. right? As we, 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 part of a large part of what we do is uh, advocate for for our industry and lobby on Capitol Hill and and across the states and and around the world, and just you know making this a priority that they understand that as we as we build out um, policies, uh, whether it's in data privacy, security policies, that we recognize um, that there that that. That the how the applications can impact broad communities. So we talk about data privacy, for example, and and the ability to opt out of uh, having your data shared. So it's, it's reasonable reasonable um, outcome to to push for makes makes perfect sense. Uh, individuals should have the right to uh, to be deleted or or not to be found. But let's look at the benefits as well. So as a person of color, if I'm identified by an algorithm as a person of color and they are serving me, say, information on sickle cell, for example, that's mm -hmm. a benefit to me, right? So as right. we think about, all right, you know, how do we create these opt-outs? How do we you know, govern, um, set data governance for companies? You know, let's think more broadly um, about the, the benefits and the opportunities for people of color. You know, again, there are, there, are, there are negative applications for that. Um, in some cases, we've seen for um, uh, mortgage applicants, um, mm -hmm. To, uh, apply online from from underserved communities um, again be sort of you know opted out right pushed out yeah. because they don't meet whatever criteria is built into that system but again there are benefits that can be gained um, from looking at that data set based on on certain characteristics whether it's ethnicity or gender etc so it becomes a much more nuanced debate so I think that's a big part of the challenge is explaining
explaining that and and making people aware um, that you know one size doesn't fit all. But I, I do think we've made tremendous progress. Um, you know, the term digital equity is now we're broadly understood. We're working with the U.S. government now on a set of principles to guide the development of AI. Um, and a big part of that discussion is access and inclusion. Um, we had uh, in in, uh, in I believe it was in the infrastructure bill again passed last year was the first uh, reference um, to digital equity. So we're beginning to see that used in the, the corridors of power and implemented into uh, included in law. So I do think we've made some progress, but uh, as with all things related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, <laughs> there's a hell of a lot more work to be done. <laughs> and within SIIA, how does your team ensure diversity, equity, and inclusion is promoted across your organization? So you've talked about the large policy level, uh, working with entire industries, but how about like internally? How do you make sure that these things happen within your own house? Yeah, so, so that's a, we, I felt strongly from the moment, I've been here about three years now, the moment I walked in that we couldn't just sort of throw those words around and pretend like we knew that, or that that I had some sort of special dispensation as a person of color, right? That, that we had to set the example um, yep. as a, we're a member-driven organization. Um, we had to set the example for our members. So we uh, we put together a, a staff-driven committee um, to come up with recommendations and help develop a policy. Again, I didn't want it to be top-down. I really wanted it to be organic and and hear from from a, 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 we, we, we try to be as inclusive as possible, representing not only, again, different ethnicities and but even different ideology um, on that, and that that community inclusion, um, you know, in, in my mind should be broadly defined. So we wanted to have political differences, right? Um, right. So that we can at least have good input going across. So they uh, helped us develop a policy that was later endorsed by our board um, and includes some tactical elements such as ensuring that we have, again, broadly defined diverse speakers. We produce conferences and events. So we want to make sure we have a diverse array of perspectives and experiences that we're bringing um, to our conferences and events. Um, we took a look at our hiring practices and we, we worked hard to sort of move beyond the sort of traditional places where we'd post um, um, job openings and, and look for to recruit, but expand that to make sure that we're again reaching broadly and 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 trying to provide uh, opportunities to learn about our organization, those job op um, opportunities uh, as well. And then the third piece was to try to create an environment where we can have these complex and difficult conversations. And um, we do that sometimes in our all staff meetings. We try to prepare, present um, forums for that. Um, Early on, right after the, uh, the 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 George Floyd murder, um, I started an off-staff meeting, and I told my personal story of some of the discrimination that I've I've experienced in my life to try to make people feel more comfortable hopefully, mm, um, yeah. and addressing that. And, and I invited others to sort of tell their own stories. And and we had a really good dialogue. So, you know, again, showing that we, it's, it's walking the walk for our organization, setting an example, having some specific metrics, but sometimes those metrics are, are harder to find. Um, yeah. So, you know, just sort of creating the environment to allow for those conversations and, and move from there. We, we joked earlier that when I came aboard, you know, I didn't want to just be uh, the person of color. The first thing we're going to do is DEI. And as I talked <laughs> to some of my board members, they're like, well, why not? You know, that's, that's part of the reason why you're here, to, to help us learn and, and help us improve. So um, having the support of, uh, of my board, of our leadership, volunteer leaders, uh, was, has been absolutely critical as well. And you mentioned in your answer, like the difficulty of kind of figuring out metrics, right? And that's something that quite a few members of our audience frequently and work in DEI in general, right? Like the people who are resistant or kind of like interested, but really maybe some of that business training kicks in. Okay, so how are we going to measure this? How are we going to quantify this? And that's always a very difficult thing. So what have you found works well, maybe the particular metrics that work well, or the process about going 
about finding metrics that mean sense for your particular organization. How do you answer a person? Okay, so how do we quantify this? How do we put measurements yeah. to this? Yeah, so yeah, it, it was... A, Part of our discussion, because uh, yeah, I, I see, I'm sure like you and many of uh, the, the audience, you you'll see reports. Well, you know, our, we've increased our, uh, our 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 hiring to in 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 gender and ethnicity by a certain amount, but you know, they're all at entry level positions, right? Yeah. You know, what's your C-suite <laughs> look like? You know, what's your board of directors look like, right? Um, yeah. So we we thought about that. So the first step for us was, you know, what's reasonable? What what do we really have control over? Because you know, frankly, it's 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 not a it's it's not an excuse it's not a cop-out it's a real issue we need to deal with when we say that well the it's it's the population is small right um so the world has changed but but when i first started working in in technology you know, there, there weren't a lot of minorities working so as you tried to have better achievement better outcomes in di the, the pool was was pretty small um so again it's not an excuse but it was you know just something else we had to deal with so what could we control um that we could provide better outcomes so that's why we came up with um a metric to measure right how many um you know what's 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 our speaker uh um um look like what our speaker looks look like in the past um and and then set some realistic goals on on how to proceed so i think the first step for us is what's a realistic measurement where we have some control um mm -hmm. where we can show measure, measurement um that's still meaningful right um if we have a uh, you know if, if we're sort of talking about the importance of di and then we come up with a panel of all white men when well, we ain't doing our job um, <laughs> so here's something that we could specifically control and measure so i think that was the key um realistic right measurable yeah. um and 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 achievable yeah and so what would you recommend for other organizations to do to ensure that digital equity is part of their work so like you're the head of this association and you have kind of the broad really high level view what would you recommend for other organizations and even really small ones what are the things that they can do to ensure that they're being equitable along the lines of digital equity yeah so um in terms of digital equity specifically um I, I, we're all dealing with data um you know yeah. every business is now a data whether you're joe's pizza down the street or you know or, or google or meta you're we're all dealing with with data so again taking a look at that and is it if you're if you're making business decisions based on that data is that data really clean is it really good mm -hmm. it's good is it truly representative so you're making smart decisions um, that doesn't incorporate the biases again unconscious or conscious that we may, may bring in so I think that's that's certainly one piece of this um, and then you know the uh, thinking broadly about access again we often yeah. talk about the digital divide and we think of it in terms of either hardware or that internet uh, broadband access which is critically important don't get me wrong but there's so much more to that so well, we've talked a little bit about looking at this data privacy debate and how that may impact com communities of color as we look at uh, discussions around even the discussions around these large tech giants um, and, and competition. Um, what does that mean for minority businesses who've been able to do well, right, and expand their audiences because they've had these platforms? Um, you know, it's, it's a balancing act. We need to make sure that they have equal access, obviously. But if we if we squeeze too tight and and uh, on, on these on these large platforms and provided opportunities for so so many, then then what are we doing? We're you know we're eliminating again the benefits of uh, of of of, um, of 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 what they bring of some of these platforms. So I think again think thinking broadly about the services we provide, um, um, you know, how we may participate in the, in the public debate and the policy debate. And then the final thing that I always come back to is, is, is conversation, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we are all smarter for having 
broader conversations and and truly truly listening. And it's not just incumbent upon the majority community. It's important. It's incumbent upon us um, mm-hmm. as underrepresented communities to hear their views and to and to li- truly listen because only then can we identify the true problem and come up with common language. Right. That yeah. that, that we can lead with a a carrot or a stick. And in my experience, you know, trying to lead with that carrot and show their self interest, <laughs> but understanding where they're coming from um, is uh, is critically important. All right. So for a lighter question, I know in your bio, you mentioned joy with Lisa and your two daughters and all sorts of other things, working out, viewing sports. But what's bringing you joy today? Oh, today, (laughs) man. Um, Well, right now, lately. What's bringing you joy lately? Speaking to you. (laughs) Talking to you. Uh, No, you know, if if you told me, um, and this this is going to sound corny, but if you told me when I was in my 20s how much I enjoy building a family and having a family, I would have been like, yeah, whatever. It is, it is, it's been such a uh, incredible journey. Um, yeah, I, 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 I've not made a lot of smart decisions in my life, but picking my wife was certainly having her since she was one. Um, I've got uh, two amazing daughters who are both uh, now in college, um, who are, who are just uh, just outstanding young people um, contributing to the world and some of the values that that I was taught by my parents and grandparents. I see them continue and, and recognizing that the world is much bigger than uh, than just the two of them, and there's their own personal interests. Um, it's been amazing. So I think uh, I think that that, and then to be completely crass, is I'm, I'm a huge uh, March Madness fan. And though and though my neither my Badgers, my Hoyas, or my Princeton Tigers made it, um, it's still fun. So I'm looking forward to this weekend, <laughs> and that brings me joy. All right. Well, thank you very much for sharing all this with us. How can our listeners continue to stay in touch with you? Yeah, so you can feel free to follow me on Twitter. I'm at J.A. Joseph on Twitter. Uh, look up my LinkedIn profile, and our organization is SIIA.net. We're uh, in the, launching it within the next few weeks, hopefully, a uh, specific DEI section of our website that will talk more about digital equity. Um, we provide resources for our members and links to, to learn about um, workforce development and terminology and, and holding uh, challenging conversations in the organization and uh, a definition of terms because um, it's important that we speak. <laughs> the same language right like yeah. you know when i talk about equity and you talk about equity we want to make sure that we're using the same language we have a similar understanding of what those terms mean so um please come visit our page and let us know what you think all right jeff joseph thank you very much for spending your time with us uh, thank you very much for having me and we're so glad to all of you who tuned in to this week's episode of the uplifting impact podcast and we need more people like you to help us uplift the impact In order to do so, please be sure to share this episode, comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, Justin Ponder or Deanna Singh. And until next week, keep uplifting the impact. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.